Welcome to season three of Outstanding Women Leaders, Witty and Wise Conversations. I'm your host, Katie Elise, leadership and relationship coach by day, comedian and writer by night. I'm on a mission to host 100 million witty and wise conversations that disrupt the way leaders think and the way the world lives in relationship to each other. It's time to start connecting our left and right brain to our loving hearts and begin listening to what they have to say. The brain will want to continue on the path previously traveled. It feels safe there. The heart sometimes barely has a path to follow, allowing passion and purpose to dictate the way. Get ready to disrupt business as usual in your brain and get ready to start following your heart. Listen, it's calling for you. My heart is always calling for me to dance in conversation, to feel the rhythm and vibrations, the ebbs and flows as we exchange energies, wit, and wisdom. My brain is interjecting really quick to invite you to check out owlprofessionalcoaching.com backslash podcasts for more episodes and to head over to Apple Podcasts or Podbean and write us a quick review. Or find me on the gram and ask me at Owl Professional Coaching or Outstanding Women Leaders. Enough about that. Today we have four rules to guide our conversation. These rules are inspired by the Coactive Training Institute to create space for powerful connection and authenticity. Rule number one, nobody gets to be wrong. Rule number two, nobody gets to be right. Rule number three, everybody gets to be vulnerable. And rule number four, everything is included. If your child walks in, your phone rings, it's on the podcast. We do not edit here. This conversation is exactly what it needs to be in this moment in time. We've asked our guests to join us via video to allow us to create authentic connection. Eyes are the window to the soul. You will be seen here. You will be heard. There is space for you. When this conversation comes to a close, I will ask our guests three questions. If you've tuned in before, you know what they are and you know you want to stay tuned to hear them. If you haven't, you don't want to miss out. Enough about me. Let's welcome the guest today, Susie Tully Milligan, a local celebrity in Hoboken, New Jersey and founder of True Mentors. That's right. I said local celebrity, mostly because I wore that title as executive director there. So that means you had to have had it as well. I was in Hoboken, I think, maybe five days before I found out who Susie was. Susie is a lifelong storyteller who helps people and businesses clarify and write their stories as authentically as possible. Her passion for people and helping them unearth their purpose by creating a great story helped lead her to start a mentoring program for children in the middle of her marketing career. True Mentors is an incredible organization. It's still here in Hoboken. I had the pleasure to also serve in that role. When Susie left that, she made this bold move from living around NYC for two decades to Red Red Lodge, Montana. Susie loves Jesus, her husband and son, and running in the mountains and the beach. Susie is the salt of the earth person that everybody in their life should have a chance to meet. So welcome. I'm so glad that everybody in the world gets a chance to hear your story. That's very kind of you, Katie. Thanks for having me. I always look forward to our conversations. It's awesome. I wish I had had an opportunity to connect with you more. I was moving into Hoboken, I think right about the time that you were deciding that you were going to move to Montana. Uh, But we had a chance to connect before this. I learned a lot about how you founded True Mentors and what the purpose was. So I'd love to have you share that experience of what it's like to found a nonprofit and really give back to a community. Yeah, um, I'd spent most of my career up to that point, which is probably about 15, 20 years, um, selling other people's things, right? I, I, I did marketing, digital marketing primarily for uh, large Fortune 100 companies through agencies. And um, one agency that I was working with closed and I, I don't know, I just took a big leap of faith. I'd been trying to see how I could transition into nonprofits because I wanted to sell something I was really passionate about. I thought, oh, my role might be marketing, you know, director of marketing, whatever. But um, when I left the company with the, the agency that closed, um, I didn't take a couple offers that came my way. I actually started volunteering and doing um, pro bono work for a few places I was really interested in. Um, one of which was a church that I attended, but that that never kind of was a thought about career move for me. It was, um, but um, I worked in the church a couple days a week and it was just myself and the pastor and actually who turned out to be my future husband, which is a totally another story. And um, 
after about a month working there, the pastor came to me and said, hey, um, we're thinking about starting this mentoring program and we think you might be the right person to start it. And that was totally out of left field. I had no idea. I was a big sister um, with big brothers, big sisters. I had done adult mentoring um, before. And so they had asked me a bunch of questions as they were kind of exploring, they being the pastor and another guy who was interested in, in starting it. And um, I said, I, I really need to go away and think about this. This is not the direction I was moving in. So I gave myself a couple of weeks, thought and prayed about it and really felt like I had enough and where I didn't have enough and God would fill in for me. Right. And so it kind of felt like a calling to me. And I went back to the pastor and said, here is, um, here's money that I need for the next six months in order to start this thing. And this is what I think I can do. And he said, great. So he made a few phone calls, got some seed money and off we went to true mentors. And so that was July, 2010. We launched January, 2011. And amazingly, I'm no longer day to day involved in the organization. I'd like to, you know, look from afar, but it's just thriving. And I love, love what it, what it is doing in the environment and in Hoboken, um, in the surrounding area. And so <laughs> does that help? That's sort of the Yeah. Background. Yeah. No, I love the, the leap of faith component that you talk about. And I know for myself, I've taken a couple really big leaps of faith around that time. A couple of years after you founded True Mentors, I started my own business and that was a leap of faith. Um, for people that are out there starting nonprofits or for-profits, and by the way, if you're listening, the only difference is a tax status. You still have to bring in income. And so you're running a business. Um, what lessons did you learn in leadership in this process? Ooh, lots. Those are good ones. Um, so because I was starting a nonprofit, we didn't have any money. It was about, um, hey, said, it's all right. The rules no, allow it. <laughs> it was my kid, just my sister calling. Um, so it was, um, one of the big ones was learning how to recruit people and then transferring the passion that you have for what you're doing to them. Because um, you can recruit people and often you, like I was trying to recruit people that I knew based on what I knew about them and how they might want to get involved, right? And, um, you know, bringing somebody in, often the first step is they want to do something for you because you have a connection, they know you, that kind of thing. But unless you're able to transfer that passion to the individual for what they're doing and what they're doing it for, then there's no way that it's sustainable and it becomes, there becomes an imbalance in the relationship because they might start to feel like they owe you something. Right. And so that was one of the biggest things initially. Um, and for me, it's always a lot of trial and error in anything, right. And leadership is one of those things. And so, um, as I recruit my friends and people that I love to work with, um, it, we just started developing really strong teams and um, the trial and error comes in with things like, you know, I, re I recruited um, a fantastic board member that just hit a, a glitch in life and we needed to have a hard conversation. Um, you know, I, I won't reveal personal things, but you know, as a leader, having those hard conversations is a lot of trial and error. And initially when I had to confront him about a certain behavior, nothing really changed and I didn't see anything. But then a year later, um, we have another conversation where that very hard one actually made such an impact in his life that it changed things completely for him. And so, um, yeah, I guess it wasn't necessarily an error as much as I thought in that year where I didn't know what was going on. But um, uh, yeah, you just learn lots of critical lessons in that. And pardon me, I'm kind of going off the cuff here. So no, I love this. You know, I, difficult conversations is really kind of what defines you as a leader in many ways. It, it's what the people remember <laughs> oftentimes. Of, and 
it's interesting how in those moments, sometimes as leaders, we think that was a failure. I didn't see the change I wanted because our purpose is to try to change someone versus to pull out those strengths that that leader already has. Yeah. And I mean, the beautiful thing about it is, um, I was going to say that, that when you're actually not going for change, but actually, but you, you are right. You want something more for that individual. And so you take a chance depending on whatever the, the outcome is. And I know in my life, when someone has taken a chance on me to have those hard conversations, which often are not easy for someone to give, as much as receive, right? It has always made me a better person when I'm willing to stop and listen and change. And so, yeah, that's my hope for others when I enter into these conversations and attempt to be loving, but yeah, ultimately it is how it sits and and what they do about it that Mm. results. Yeah. And so true for people listening, true relationships, true stands for true relationships on earth. Excellence. And having a difficult conversation requires you to be in relationship. Uh, I I always, people, people that I work with is either they think they're getting leadership coaching uh, or they think they're getting relationship coaching or they think they're getting business coaching, but it's all about relationships. That's the real work of leadership, business, et cetera. Um, what else can you tell us about how you help develop leaders? And this, this organization was a lot of young millennials and I, as a teacher, like I have the unique experience of being the millennial and also having taught all the millennials, uh, what lessons did they teach you? I know my students taught me a lot about leadership. Um, man, I've learned so much in such a short period of time just by interacting and and being in relationship with people through the organization. I would say from the kids' perspective, it was really, uh, what I learned from them was how to listen, right? You can be talking and teaching. Often we think that teaching is very much about giving to people, but what I think... um, I took my cues from, from Christ is that he doesn't walk into a situation talking first, right? He often walks in, he doesn't say anything, at least the way that it's described to me or the way that I sort of picture it um, from reading stories in the Bible is um, you go in, you observe, simply are looking at um, the people around you, how they're behaving, what they're doing. And um, one of the reasons that we had the classes, because there's so many for doing that at True Mentors, we didn't just match one-on-one, we created an opportunity for people to come together, was that so I could really observe the kids and find out what's not on their application and learn about them. So, and also the volunteers, the potential mentors, so that we could see, how they interact, how they behave, what are the, you know, the body language cues that are coming out. And so um, we could find out how better to match them, what their underlying needs really are socially. Um, And so it was just this, you know, (laughs) this great sort of playground to watch and observe and listen and find out um, more about the kids and who they are. And yeah, it was just great fun for me because I'm a, I'm just a social observer. Like favorite pastimes, you sit at a cafe watching people go by the city or like do that. Coffee shops and watching people while I work. Yeah, for sure. I know from the, the kids side, what I always found so interesting was how creative they were. They were just so creative um, at solving problems if we didn't intervene, <laughs> at creating problems if we weren't around. Um, but to see the connection and the more connected that the kids got, the, that true relationship really did bring out more of their strengths and more of their, I want to self-regulate or I want to, um, it was it was amazing to see. And it wasn't a clip chart and it wasn't a prize that we gave away, although those things were sometimes utilized, but it was that relationship where I know I can walk up to a kid and just give him a look Mm -hmm. and not a, like, don't do that look, 
but you know, what do you need? What connection are you seeking? I always found it really challenging. And this was probably because like you were spread thin too, but to help develop that in our corporate folks that come to volunteer, like our leaders that are coming that, um, that that's not how their brain works. They're, you know, they're using a different part of their brain or that's, they don't have this experience of people that are different or um, not doing the thing they want, right? <laughs> uh, what was, how did you help with that? Because that was something I always, I struggle to support leadership sometimes. And I say that, but I'm sure leaders could tell you how I did support them. But that was something I always was trying to get better at. Helping some of the volunteers better relate to leaders and the relationships. Yeah. um, I'm going to go back to the observation part too, because um, as a coach, a lot of what you're doing is listening, right? At a higher level and sort of putting yourself in their position. And um, often what happens there is you have an insight that they don't, right? And so you want them to have the same that you do. But um, I think the advantage in leadership is also being able to help sort of guide them to that discovery or sort of flat out say, hey, I've been observing you in this way and this is how I'm interpreting it. Is this right for you? You know, is this how you're seeing it? You know, we had a lot of hurdles early on with not reaching the numbers that we wanted to with regard to um, mentoring and uh, making the matches, right? Like we had a certain goal every year to sort of say, okay, this must be this would make us successful if we reached this number, um, which whatever, I can have an ongoing conversation about whether or not that's right. But um, the, um, where was I going with this? <laughs> so um, we had to have conversations to figure out why we weren't actually reaching our numbers. And so we pulled in several of the leaders that had influence on doing the matches and figuring out. and. Um, trying to find out our strengths and our weaknesses. And um, one of the things that I learned at, about that is that again, like listening and empowering people to be able to bring their own ideas to the table rather than going in and trying to dictate because this is where I did the trial and error. I did try to do a lot of dictating in that part with leaders that I was like, yeah, well, why don't you try this and do this and that, you know, and they didn't own it in the same way that they did when we all got together brainstormed to figure out, like did a SWOT analysis, for example, to figure out how we could make some adjustments to the current process and increase. And so I figured out that um, leadership isn't all about dictation. It's much more (laughs) effective when um, there's ownership involved and everybody is able to contribute to the end outcome. So... Yeah. And getting in the relationship I hear again. So when you, when you say that, I think, all right, I wasn't terrible at leadership. It was really, (laughs) I think a lot of times I even get caught in this rabbit hole of leadership looks like trainings and leadership looks like this development thing we did where really leadership in a true mentors for me was the one-on-one conversations that you had with the volunteers about what you observed or no, watch, notice this, so that they have a chance to observe you. Um, and all of the coaching was just helping volunteers get into relationship more. Like, I don't know how to, I haven't, I guess I do have an idea now that I've done some coaching training on how can I now create this container where I can have you come to a training and learn how to get in relationship with each other. Um, mm, I just, that, that sounds like a fun training now that I talk about it. Yeah, that does totally. <laughs> You know, I keep coming back in our conversation to this one moment in time where um, I came home from a a tremendous class one night um, and explained to my husband, there was a kid that was acting out and he was brand, brand new. I did not have a relationship with him at all. Um, He was brand new to the organization and he was mistreating or, okay, so let me see if I can clarify this. It was not, I was in the boys and girls club where our office was, and it was not a true mentors thing. And I worked there, but he was new and, and we didn't have a relationship. And I came home and I told my husband, he was misbehaving and I corrected him um, in what I thought was a constructive way. 
right? But when I explained the story, my husband said to me, do you have a relationship with this boy? And I said, no, I'd never met him before. Like he was just acting out and I kind of set the boundaries. And I said, yeah, can't do that at you or whatever I said. And um, it was like, okay, so I'm, I'm going to give you a heads up. Like your comment to him probably went in one ear and out the other. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, because you don't have a relationship with him. You haven't earned the, the viability of being the one that like really corrects or does it. Now, does that mean I should not have done it? No, but at the same time, or maybe, I don't know, but at the same time, whatever it is that I was trying to correct probably went in one ear and out the other, right? And the relationship is the critical part of it. And so now when I am on the street and like, <laughs> you know, I, I think about it if I'm seeing a child misbehaving or something like that and I don't have a relationship with them, I'm wondering, is it an imperative for me to correct them or stop it? Like is someone getting hurt? Is there a level to it, right? But, or will it have a bigger impact when I actually have a relationship with that person? So I weigh the difference. Um, little side note. Sorry, these stories come out because I'm a verbal processor. Then I'm like, that was a great story. No, I love, I, I, what I love is that relationships keep coming up and you, the relationships of Jesus, the principles of Jesus, I think are great, which is why I like them. Um, and those are, are seen throughout the true mentors, um, the foundation of that. And that's what it's built on. I'd love for you to talk more about that relationship that you have and, and how that's brought you to all the adventures in your life. And you've had some fun adventures, started a nonprofit, moved to Montana, by the way, a great place to be during a pandemic. <laughs> yes. Yes. We really lucked out with that one. <laughs> uh, so your question is, how's my, how's my relationship with Christ influence sort of the choices that I make? Or? Yeah, and how do, you see, like, how do you see those principles that he has showing up throughout your life? Yeah, um, I think there's one consistent theme that then sort of has a lot of, you know, tentacles to it or um, forks, as we like to say in Montana, because there's a lot of rivers with forks. Um, uh, that, and that is love. Right. I think for my entire life, I've felt like I'm holding this big bucket of love and I just want to be able to give it to different people and, and take it. And for most of my life, I'd say until I met Christ at about 30, I um, thought, I know what you need in my life. I know what kind of love you need. So I'm going to give you what I think you need. Um, but then after two failed engagements, <laughs> I realized yeah, I'm the common denominator and I do not know what other people need. Right? <laughs> um, <laughs> so why don't I stop and listen? And um, in that moment, I actually was like, okay, God, you better, you better kick in and show me because I am trying to do this my way and it's not really working. And so the way that I that move now is, well, on a good day, right? Because it's not perfect, but, um, and, and it comes out when I'm having conflict, I realize, oh, I haven't been moving forward and finding out what this person needs or loves. I've been pushing my own agenda. So, um, I attempt to move forward in love to determine where do I need to be now? Who do I need to love now? What choices do I need to make about my time and my energy and my focus and my, um, my skill set? And so it has, when I ask those questions, it's very much led me to, do I stay in New Jersey? And at the time, I, um, my husband and I were deciding whether or not to stay or go. I was pregnant and we were having our first, our only child. And, um, and the answer became more about, how do I love my husband and my son? You know, and then it was time to go. And then um, I have some really beautiful stories about how we figured out how to get to Montana <laughs> as we traveled the whole country trying to figure out where we were going. And, um, and that's a cool story. So you didn't just say, okay, we're going to go somewhere. You got an RV and you family, your family just went around the country, which sounds super cool. I imagine you were in relationship to a lot of places. How do you pick Montana? 
<laughs> I, well, um, okay, so now I really sound like a crazy Jesus lady, but in my first year of working on True Mentors, and I was just praying all the time because I had no idea what I was doing, and unsolicited in a really great quiet time, this has never really happened before, I actually had this vision of this place where I didn't know where it was but it was just this green rolling hills and I felt like I was flying over it and I felt the Holy Spirit asking me the question like what do you know where you are I'm going to take you here so it's so unique about timing because as I'm building this new thing it helps me to better understand okay Christ might not keep me in Hoboken really long term and I had a I immediately shared with the pastor that that was going to happen. And he totally freaked out because he was like, what What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to find a new leader. Like what's happening. But side note, um, fast forward from that point in time, like three, four years later, where um, my husband and I start to think about what comes next. And, um, and then, uh, right. So things start to move into place. I, I transition out of true mentor. We need to grow up leaders and then we get in this camper and start to travel the country trying to figure out where we wanted to live because my son's six weeks old and we don't have a clue. And um, so we're traveling the country. I'm looking for the green rolling hills, right? It's, after, it's about three or four months into the, the journey. It's so stressful because we don't have a place to go back to. We don't know where we're going. We stop in Montana as a last stop to um, visit my husband's brother and his family. And I'd been there two times before, once before the vision and once after, both in very dry times, right? So the, it's a totally different look and feel. And we get there in May this time, and I'm driving back from town out to the ranch where my in-laws live. And it's the green rolling hills and the, the road that you're traveling on feels like you're flying. And immediately, I, re- I recognize it and I just start weeping. <laughs> I'm first because Montana, you know, it's like, <laughs> what? This was not the place that we were considering. Like I need a, a small transitional city, not, <laughs> not a rural ranching town. Um, and yeah, I just felt the power of that and that I would be completely taken care of. Like the fear did not need to exist. And so um, I get back to the ranch and I sort of share with my husband, who by the way, doesn't believe in Christ. And so this conversation is very, you know, like, okay, crazy lady. But ultimately he's like, I would have moved here from the beginning, but I never thought that you would. And so I had to do a little convincing to say, okay, if Chris is with me, then I, I can go anywhere and for him to actually believe me. And so a job opened up, got a job on a ranch, like, you know, it was an easy move. We got all our stuff. We went and he, like, it has been, I mean, there's no turning back. Like we've had this amazing experience, beautiful people to be able to love and be connected with here and um, a job opens up for me. I can do marketing, <laughs> you know, just this amazing transition. So I've been here for four years and, um, yeah, I just feel like I've, I've been completely provided for. And so that's one of the ways that my faith is played into. <laughs> yeah. And so when you're struggling, I hear you, t- I hear you lean on prayer. And so really just deepening that relationship. Um, as I've been doing the coaching courses, I also did a neuro coaching and leadership course and starting to understand the neuroscience of spirituality. And really, I mean, this was something I was getting into and I owned the gym a little bit with science. And so many people are like, there's science and there's religion. Um, and then there's Einstein and there, it, was, it was very spiritual and the father of quantum physics who said, science, you need science and, and your spirituality. And so it's always good to hear people talk about it. You mentioned like the Jesus crazy lady. And so I'm just curious because that is the, the perspectives that some people take. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I didn't, um, I grew up um, in church, but I didn't believe 
Christ, right? So in my 30s, I started dating somebody um, who did. And then I asked myself a bunch of questions like about what I believed. And it really wasn't until five years kind of after that, that when things started falling apart for me, that I saw how I could believe. And when you tie in the neuroscience of it and the faithfulness, um, I mean, there's tons of studies, right? Like um, in prayer and in meditation, you see the brain light up in certain ways and create peace and harmony. And um, everyone's walk is different. For me, I found the greatest peace and hope when I'm able to focus on belief and um, yeah, be guided by um, what I believe is the Holy Spirit and Christ in me, right? So um, I think there was a lot of fear. And when I say the crazy lady, it's a little bit of a defense for me because I spent so many years in environment where I actually, when I started to transition to Christ, like I went to a Billy Graham um, revival, like one of his last ones in New York. And went to a friend's party after that and was openly mocked by friends for doing something like that. And so I get the mentality of, oh, what are you doing? Like, why would you need that? Aren't you self-sufficient? Can you, but, but for me, it's, it's um, yeah, Christ brings a greater level of peace and focus in my life that um, I believe to be true. So it works for me. <laughs> Yeah, well, similar to you, I was in my 30s. I think like 33 was a big year for Jesus. It was a big year for me. I think <laughs> uh, mind uh, semi ended in the crucifixion, um, but not quite. Like I, for me, it, it was kind of hitting that rock bottom of I can't do this by myself anymore. And that surrender and that letting go, um, that's where all the fun neuroscience comes in with the brain. Uh, and learning about there's an area of the brain that lights up when we feel disgust. And that's the same area that lights up when we actively think God doesn't exist. And so it's interesting to, to see how wired we really are. You said, mentioned the phrase um, like self-sustaining and being able to do it yourself. I think this is the gift that we're given is that we are able to do it ourselves, but by connecting and getting in relationship with something bigger than us. Yeah, for sure. It is, the deeper I go, the more I understand, right? Um, yeah, and it's just been this beautiful journey that I, I, I am just immensely grateful for because when I'm able to give up control, that's when I feel the greatest level of peace and hope, you know? Because life is hard, really, whether you have Christ or not. Right. It's yeah, like I mean, we're living in a pandemic and there's a lot of control that we have to give up. Um, and part of that control, I think, is also that control that you can't keep yourself safe, no matter how much of a bubble that you think you're in. Like, it's really, it's not up to us. And I mean, the same thing is in relationship, because oftentimes we want people to respond the way that we want them to respond. Right. And um, in the surrender of that, there's an immense amount of beauty that can come out of the relationship um, from a feeling perspective, from a, um, like a, yeah, it just, I was in a Bible study, a brand new Bible study that I was in last night that I joined and the topic happened to be love, right? And because I couldn't figure it out on my own, I dove in to find out what it meant in the Bible. And so, um, I thought early on, right, like right after I got married, that I could teach a class about love. <laughs> I was laughing about myself. Right, so here I am. And I'm still a newbie. I'm still like eight years into this marriage. And in, in I, I have to laugh at myself in that first year. But I, there are some critical things that came out of it for me with regard to understanding what love was. And I have to go back to them over and over. I feel so stupid. Why do I have to relearn something like every moment of every day, right? But I think that's simply the way that our brains work every time we enter into a slightly new situation. Um, but the thing that I discovered about love um, in reading what God's love is, was first that it's not an action. I mean, it's not a feeling first, it's an action. 
like I'm, love is kind, love is patient, right? Like we take this selfless um, step of faith. We act selflessly to give to somebody else. And the gift that we get back is that warm, fuzzy feeling. And so when I'm in the situation right, with my son or my husband or whomever, and I am like angry beyond what, I, and I'm controlled by my strong negative emotions, I have to practice acting in love. And it doesn't, that feeling doesn't come right away because of probably the heightened elevation motion that has to like die down, die down, die down, right? But if I continue to act in anger, I will fuel that anger. If I choose to act in love and be selfless and give to the other person, then I gain the greatest reward from that. And man, talking to yourself in your head, that is like the hardest thing ever, right? Like talk yourself down. But I think that in and of itself is one of the greatest gifts that I've ever gotten from, from God. Yeah, like that. that's seeking connection even when you're angry. Um, because when we're angry, there often we are just feeling disconnected. Yeah, it breaks down everything. And going back to your questions about leadership, the times where I have done that as a leader have transformed my relationships, both with the person that I'm working with and everyone else around me, right? But we're in the times where I continue to push for my own selfish agenda, I learn little. I learn how to push people away, right? Um, and so, I recently have been going through that with, especially in this political climate, because a lot of people around me don't have the same beliefs that I do, whatever side you're on, right? And I realized that through my anger and my, um, my, my frustration, my, right, my self-righteousness, I'm pushing away people that I actually love and that I'm carrying the burden myself um, when I don't either look at them or try to forgive them and, or try to love them. So just making myself. Harder. I love that you, that you labeled it as what it as the self-righteousness, I think. Uh, and you mentioned two sides, <laughs> you know, regardless of what side you're on for me as a history teacher, I'm on the side of humans. Um, and so, <laughs> um, George Washington warned against political parties. So there's where my side would lie if I was picking a side, but it's, it's the self-righteousness that said there, says there's a good side and there's a bad side. It's that judgment that we have that says, and I love to go back to the, the there's a poem. It's from, I think it's in the Tao. Maybe it's not, I forget where this is from. It's not my original work, but it's about like, who is to say what is good and what is bad? And uh, it's very easy to sit in that self-righteous place and to say that this is good or this is bad. But I go back to, well, judgment, and that's God is called to say what is good and what is bad. Um, and the, the poem that goes on, like this guy, you know, his kid gets a horse stolen, but then this horse comes back and it brings other horses. And then the kid falls off and breaks a leg and you're like, oh, this is bad. But then the war breaks out and the guy can't go to war. It's like, and that's kind of how it is when I look at the struggle of how I may feel about a particular candidate or their side. If you're going to call it that, I look at who is to say if this is good or bad, like what opportunities are created that we can create love and good. Because at the end of the day, 75 million people um, are very are very upset, and getting into that love and connection for me is how we win. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I I struggled most of my life to determine what was good. Right, I always wanted to be a good person, and then when I started to better understand God and truth, it challenged me. It was like you don't get to determine what's good because I realized I was learning from cultural definitions on defining what's good and what's right. And I so often walk into a situation where I have no idea what is good or what is love to someone else. 
And that's where you build the relationship so you can find out, right? And so I'm constantly going back to that question, like, what is love to this person right now? What is, you know, what do I need to do? And so, but ironically, well, I'll tell you, it's a very funny story. You can see how open I am. But um, I remember the question posed to me, like, you do not get to define um, what good is because I thought, I thought I was this horrible person because I had feelings for my husband because he was 12 years younger than I was. <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm 35, I guess 11 years. He's 24. I was like, oh. I would have felt the same way because I taught high school students. <laughs> oh, and I just thought, oh no, like, what is wrong with me? Why do you know? And, um, I, I was torturing myself, trying to control everything, like, you know, do this. And we were friends. We'd been friends for like a year. And I, anyway, um, in prayer, very firmly felt God was like, you don't get to find whether or not you're good or that's good or whatever. It's, it's me. And the question then shifted to, okay, I am in a relationship with this person. He's my friend. God, how do you want me to love him? And so through that process, I learned how to ask the question over and over and figure out how to love him. And as it turns out, loving him as his wife is the, <laughs> was the way that God calls me into that. And that's a, you know, that is one of the hardest. <laughs> You know, being in a relationship with someone daily, it's like... Well, you know, I'm divorced, so I guess I kind of know that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no, I mean... So. Yeah, and what I love about Dan is is his capacity for how much he loves me is just beyond. It's great. And he waited 44 years to meet me, so, like, in his bachelor pad that we've now pulled him into a new home. So I definitely understand that. Totally uh, for me, I mean, pandemic relationship has been great because it's still year one. We'll hit year one in February. <laughs> yes, yes. Very like this. You know, but there's, um, what I find is getting, we, every time we have that, you know, moving in together bump or this, this particular issue comes up, there's such a deeper connection that comes out of that. You really mm -hmm. can't have a deep connection without having conflict and being able to connect during that conflict to get you both back to where you need to be. Yeah, for sure. I like to avoid conflict. <laughs> so I am the classic avoider. And so funny enough, so you're, you went and became a life coach, which I love. You went to NYU's life coaching school. Yeah. And, um, and so, and people told me I should talk to you. And at that time when I'd first moved to Hoboken, I just got divorced. I walked in my first Sunday in town into the church holding my owl coffee mug that now is a business I have. So, and Grant greeted me at the door who helped me start the business. Um, but I had worked with a life coach prior to that. And I, and everyone said I should talk to you, but you, you were doing the whole RV in Montana, Montana thing. So I didn't get a chance. Um, but I, I, I had a meeting in the church. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can picture where we were when we talk about it now. Um, and so I love that your experience with life coaching, you're just like, I can't <laughs> give this much to people. <laughs> oh, I, I just, I, I did talk to you about that, didn't I? Um, yeah. yeah. I tried just doing life coaching for a while. <laughs> um, you know, the set hour that you spend with somebody. And yes, it, yeah. I did not go into that because it took me three hours to recover from <laughs> from listening at such a high level to really be beneficial for others. Um, so clearly there are limits to my love. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you mentioned conflict and like avoiding that, what I found for through coaching, cause I did the certification, like by the time I finished this program in May of 300 hours. Um, and so I'm almost there as I make my way. And what I find is that I have to get, I can't avoid conflict. I have to be really effective, to be, to play big, to really be a great coach. I have to lean into that conflict that I so want to avoid. And so as a result, personally, it's become easier, but, um, 
And there are some conflicts where I definitely have had avoided with Dan where now I'm like, okay, I'm going to have this. And I know it's going to be messy and I know I'm not going to say the right thing, but every single time that connection has been so much greater. And I've, I've let go of the attachment. I think of I'm trying to get something versus I'm just, I need him to understand this. And how do we get deeper connected? That's it cracked me up when you mentioned that you were just so exhausted afterwards because I can coach a full like seven back-to-back clients and I feel like well-rested, but you know, like I, I do feel that energy versus the, the draining. I, I mean, you can definitely walk away and feel drained sometimes, but yeah, your energy probably comes from different places than mine does. And so I think that's a beautiful way uh, that God's created you. It's just, it's awesome. I, I honestly didn't realize, because I consider myself such an extrovert, that I thought that I would get a lot of energy from being able to do this, but it was the opposite. So who knows? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, for me, every, I think the energy I got from being a teacher, right? At the end of the day, I was drained as a teacher but I felt like job well done. I wasn't necessarily physically I was strained because as a teacher, but mentally I wasn't. Uh, and I think that for me is getting to witness people in their greatness. Like that is what I do in the coaching. I, I am not here to witness your shit and tell you that. <laughs> like when I talk about getting in conflict, it's more about getting you here to help you see that. Um, and I'm a 50, 50 introvert extrovert. So it's, the listening part for me, I think is actually pretty charging for the energy. And then to have to blurt out some questions or some naming it gets the extrovert. So it's, it's always interesting. You have a gift. I mean, you would be a great coach. I, anyone would be lucky to have you develop them as a leader. Cause that's really what coaching is. Thank you. Before we go today, uh, I have my three questions I'm going to ask you. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to throw in a bonus and we'll start with it because uh, you are a spiritual woman. You're a woman of faith. So I know you read um, or you have a podcast or something, but do you have a place that you recommend for people listening that want to get a little bit more in touch with God and his love? Ooh, that's so good. Uh, I don't know. Right now I'm listening to Tim Keller, um, his podcasts. I just think, you know, yeah, so Timothy Keller, I appreciate his directness and sort of the, this is not a perfect term, but more of like the intellectual approach to thinking about God and the Bible. Yeah, um, I, I second him. I was, I, after I got divorced, I read this book on God and marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a fabulous, fabulous book. Just got that for Christmas. Ooh. Um, <laughs> it's from my mother-in-law. <laughs> That's amazing. That's kind of like wearing the black dress to the wedding. Let me give you this book on God and marriage. No, I, I say that with like joking, right? Because I know. I, it's funny, but it, she's, a, she's a woman of God and she's lovely. And um, we have these great conversations. And so I really- Black dresses look great on people. They should wear them. That's what I'm saying. I'm great. <laughs> um, so bonus question was fun. I love that. So Timothy Keller, um, my first question is, what's your superpower? Can I say listening after this? No, I don't know. <laughs> yes, you can say listening. I, I love to encourage. It's just a, a fun thing for me. I like to be able to, to see the strengths of other people and um, call, call out and encourage those strengths. So I, I think that takes some listening, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I just like to verbalize it. I love the superpower of, of being able to champion, to witness, to see someone and to listen. That's how you can do it. You can, if you don't listen. That's true. You know, I love that you call it a superpower because one of the first classes that I actually taught for true mentors was called, what's your superpower? Mm. Right. Uh, I think that, I mean, whatever. So we help the kids better understand that. Yeah. I love that. We, I would go to before the pandemic pre COVID, I would go to bars and work and, or coffee shops and make friends. And I would always, that was my opening question for people. No one's ever been asked that before randomly by a stranger. So then I just thought that was like my party question. Then as I went to places, I would just ask people and you learn so much 
about someone. Instead of asking you what you do, I want to know what your superpower is. If you want to tell me how you use it on a daily basis. And so you listen and then you tell people's stories in marketing. And that's why you're incredible because you do listen. Thanks. <laughs> Question. What's your purpose? Um, I think it ties into the whole mission of Furniture Mentors, right? Like helping people unearth their excellence. And I attempt to do it through relationship because that's what I've got. Uh, so, yeah, I still think that's my purpose. I think that might be my purpose too. <laughs> yeah, that mission resonates so much to me. In fact, that at the end of one of my slides for corporate coaching, it says, remember true relationships on earth excellence. Or on that, maybe they should copyright that and charge me. <laughs> <laughs> my last question before we go is what's next? Yeah, I'm, uh, my son turned five yesterday. I'm very excited about that. And um, right now I'm doing, I'm part-time marketing, but I don't know what's next. I feel like um, I'm sort of just open to um, what God's got next for me. I've been writing a bit here and there and um, yeah. It Where might can we read your writing or can we? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's taken a little bit of a hiatus over this last year. So I do have a Tumblr. I'll probably post it on my LinkedIn, but let me get a little organized first as we kind of get into this new year. Won't air for like a month. So you're, you've got some time. I also love that you're on Tumblr. Tumblr. Oh man. People Wait, are still that? on there. I don't know. I was, never, I was never on there. So I shouldn't say people are still on there, but I don't follow. It was just a place for me to put it. That was free. <laughs> Excellent choice. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe I'll blog there. Who knows? We'll see. Mm. But I'll, I, I, I will look forward to <laughs> reading the blog if you have it. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. I always like to give the guests the last word. Um, if you'd like to share any deep insights with us, what do you want to leave our audience with? Oh, this is, I am, I'm, I'm not in the deep zone, but I'm, I'm just thrilled to be able to, to talk with you. I really enjoyed our conversation. So thank you. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited for you and where, and where you're going with this. Super fun. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Susie. Yeah.